What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, uh, where we hunt hard and hunt smart. Forgot to say it on the last one, but uh, hunting hard, I cannot get you guys out there and I can't get you in the woods. But hunting smart, I can try to help you guys get a little bit more intelligent and a little bit more, um, what do I want to say, a little bit more, come on. It's a word that I really like, intentional. A little bit more intelli- intelligent and a little bit more intentional if you're telling the woods. <laughs> Stumbling right off the bat. But uh, today I got Grant Oldenburg with me, who is a friend of mine from college. And we've kind of just stayed in touch through Instagram. And Grant, when did you pick up bow hunting? Actually, bow hunting, I didn't uh, didn't pick up right away. I always grew up gun hunting. Um, but I just didn't have time in the fall growing up. Played a lot of sports. And uh, my brother and I had our own lawn mowing business, and in the fall we would clean up leaves. And uh, yeah. so it just the, the only time we really had time to hunt was, you know, we hit the old nine day gun season in Wisconsin, and so grew up loving that. And, and uh, just through college, I you know played baseball in college, and that still didn't leave any time to to pick up a bow and really learn how and i was kind of intimidated i guess a little bit never never been around guys that would bow hunted but trying to pick up a bow and learn how to, to hunt with it um just wasn't really something that i thought i could do and then uh i just got into hunting more and more and more and just nine days was like this is it you know i wanted to, <laughs> i wanted to yeah. hunt more than that so okay so what, but when did you, when did you pick it up? Like two years ago or three yeah, years ago? Or? Yeah. So the year I got out of college. Um, so this was probably, well, geez, uh, six years ago now, I guess is when I okay. started, really started bow hunting. Yeah. So got it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we're talking to Grant. He's started bow hunting six years ago and, uh, you can find him on Instagram. He's got a, a really cool page called triple threat retrievers because you spend a ton of time duck hunting, duck hunting and working with dogs. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of how it all started. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in college, I had roommates that liked to duck hunt, and and, uh, and I've never really done that either. But, you know, we went to school at Wisconsin-Platteville there right along the Mississippi River. And so the first years of college, they, they went and found all the good spots. And then um, one of my, my last year there, I decided that I'd try it out. So I went and bought myself a pair of waders and took the old 870 out there and just loved the the aspect of them or being able to just sit there and talk to your friends, you know, and hang out and, and see a dog work. It was just kind of cool. So got into duck hunting and, uh, and got a dog and, uh, just wanted a dog to go retrieve ducks. That was it. And, right. uh, then instead of just throwing a tennis ball, I just said, well, I'm going to try this. And then I, I see something online and we try the next drill this just developed more and more and then all of a sudden we started you know pheasant hunting and i never pheasant hunted before i had a dog and so then we got into pheasant hunting and i just really loved watching the dogs work and uh then my breeder that we got them from they did all kinds of um shed hunting and they did shed dog trials they'd go to these competitions and uh i decided well maybe i'll try that so we started uh practicing shed hunting and now we've gone to uh quite a few events through the um nashto which is the north american shed hunting dog association um they hold events and we've he's titled he's got his junior title in that and we went to the world championships last year where he placed um fifth in his division so that was pretty cool nice and yeah then, 
Yeah. So, and then last year, on last season, bow hunting, I stuck a doe in the, and I hit her in the shoulder and there was a lot of good blood and it started snowing and, uh, I couldn't, I lost blood trail. Couldn't find it. I brought the dog down and he, he led me to a, uh, a pile of blood, you know, where it bedded down and then we must've kicked it up and then it was snowing so hard. You know, by that time we had a couple inches of snow on the ground, he just couldn't quite figure it out. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to teach him how to uh, track now too, to yeah. blood track. And so I worked harder with him all summer long. And then unfortunately he tore his ACL um, early this fall. And so he got one track under his belt and now he's on the, on the DL. So hopefully next <laughs> year. But uh, well, that, that just means that you got to shoot all them like that big buck you shot, which yeah. is why we're talking, which is why we're talking to Grant any, anyway today. Because what was it two days ago or three days ago? He shot yep. a giant. Was that is that an eleven point or twelve point? Like I mean, it's a really nice buck, wide, thicker than thick, like an old deer, five and a half, six and a half year old, mature deer, and it is it is a tank. So that's why we're talking to Grant today. Uh, we're gonna replay that story. We're gonna hear it out. I haven't even heard it yet, so I'm really interested to hear it. And then we're gonna dissect it, go through it, and uh, hopefully. We can all learn something from it because me personally, like just picking up a piece of private this year, Grant's hunting some private land up in Minnesota, and it is it's pretty sweet what he's got going on. So yeah, that's the plan. So yeah, I mean that. Uh, so your dog's on the DL, but thankfully that buck you shot is down. <laughs> he's yeah. down right away, right? Pretty quick. Yeah, oh, I loved your I loved your story. It was just like. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I got out. scolded by my mom after that for, <laughs> for cussing too much. But for some reason, whenever I get really excited, whether it's like in sports or even just like watching uh, a sporting event or something, I just, I just like the F word when I get excited. And uh, <laughs> I guess I need to probably watch that a little bit, but I was, it's just been, uh, um, it's just been kind of a, a long couple of years. Um, I, my, uh, wife's family owns 260 acres and um in northern illinois and is that where you are yeah yeah so we used to live in in, you were you used to live in minnesota yeah and i'd always dreamed of hunting in this property but the out-of-state licenses are so expensive you know in illinois 490 bucks i paid that one year (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i decided you know early on i was like ah, that's too much that i really wanted to pay and it wasn't worth it for a deer and um, but then we moved back here. I got a job okay. in the Chicagoland area. And so and we're about an hour and 15 minutes from her family's house. And, uh, yeah, they own 260 acres on the on the Rock River and about 10 acres of it's tillable. The rest is hardwoods and river bottoms and ridges. And they have trails cut all over the place. And it's just like a sportsman's paradise. And uh, <laughs> Nice. So, yeah, it's uh, – Last year, you know, I passed up a lot of deer looking for a big one, and it just kind of took a while to figure out where to put stands and understand where the deer were moving because it's um, before my um, wife's family bought that property, um, a guy had grazed cattle there. So there's a lot of sections of it that are still pretty open where some oaks were able to get really mature. And, I mean, you, you can walk out there in the middle of summer, and there's nothing growing on the ground in some of these areas. Oh, and so, okay. And so it's kind of – these deer kind of just literally can move any which way until it gets to be more of a winter time. 
which we kind of learned is that, I mean, they're really all over the place and there's not a lot of pinch points out there and it can be tough to hunt. So yeah, the last, last two years have been, um, it's been a lot of time putting the tree and, uh, you know, a lot of talking and thinking and how do we you get all these deer on camera? How, how are we going to shoot them? And then for, for, for it to finally happen, you know, it, it felt pretty good. So, yeah. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. So yeah. then for the last couple of years now, you might've just said this, but how long has her family owned that property? Yeah. So her, her grandpa bought it back in, uh, the mid seventies. Okay. And, um, uh, so they've, and her family, they've never really hunted it, but they've let other people go out there and hunt. And, uh, crazy thing is I just, I heard a story, um, the other day about it, how her grandpa used to, um, it started back in the winter of 79 when they had a huge snowstorm of feeding the deer back when it was okay to feed deer. And, uh, he would go and get 750 pounds of corn on a trailer and dump it into a, a feeder and it would be gone in five days. Oh man. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was, so that, that's a type of area where we're talking here and, and it's, now the, the numbers are nowhere near where they used to be, um, back, you know, back 20, 30 years ago from, from what I've heard, but, uh, no, I'm pretty spoiled and pretty fortunate <laughs> to be able to go out there and hunt. Right. Well, even though, okay. So a lot of people are gonna be like, well, I don't feel like listening to the spoiled brat talk, but <laughs> At the same time, there's a lot to learn here because you weren't able to capitalize for a few years on what was yeah. going on. I mean, right? I mean, it's not yeah. like you just walked on the property and shot the biggest buck of your life the first day. No. And it just, I guess, you know, if that's what people are thinking, that's what I thought. You know, I was like, you know what, this is going to be easy. <laughs> I'm a, I got camera, I got pictures of these deer and it's just going to be like, it just should be no problem because you know, I'm driving down the driveway and here, here's a buck, nice buck standing in the middle of it in the, at night. Like if, you know, this should be nothing, but, uh, yeah, there's a, it's been a lot of cat and mouse and just, uh, you know, it's been, it's, it's been frustrating because I tell, I get excited and I talk about how the property and I'm, and I'm proud to be able to out there and hunt on it and work on it and excited and yeah. And, and then to show nothing, it's like, man, am I, am I the failure here? Or, you know, you know, it's, it, it was just frustrating. But, oh yeah, because you're always trying to figure out, man, what am I doing wrong? Why, why yeah. is this not happening? Yeah, so, and, yeah. No, that yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Um, so then, as far as well, I guess let's hop into the story about about the buck that you did shoot. So you know, start it out wherever you want, and then yeah. we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, coming into this year, I. I didn't think I'd be able to hunt as much as I got to. Um, I just had a, a daughter um, early September, September 5th, actually. So um, I was thinking, you know. Congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. So I'm um, joining fatherhood. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what is that? She's three months old, about three months. Yep, three, three months old. Yeah. yeah. So oh, I man. guess the, yeah. the, the one thing I had going for me was that it's at my you know, my in-laws live on that land. And so going to visit grandpa and grandma with my wife and, you know, daughter, it worked out kind of nice to where I could get out and hunt a little bit more. Right. You just so, drop them off and away you go. Yeah. So, you know, I was fortunate <laughs> that my wife let me do that. And I probably used up all my brownie points for the year. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's worth it. Totally worth yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, I hunted pretty hard earlier. 
Illinois starts October 1st, their guns or their uh, bow season. And it just was, I, and I experienced this last year too, is that I didn't really start seeing box of any decent size until really later in October. And okay. I just had the itch and I, I was still out there and uh, maybe I'll approach this differently next year. Maybe not because you just get too excited and you know, you want to be out there as much as you can. But right. uh, early in the early in October, I mean, tons of pictures, but you know, could never see one out of the stand. I, all I was seeing was, you know, you and I were talking, and it was just I was telling you about all I could see was spikes and forks, and it was just <laughs> yeah, I could, I didn't know what was going on, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And so then you're always like you said, you're dissecting like, all right, am I using the right entrance routes? Am I am I playing the wind correctly here? You know, like what am I, you know, what am I doing wrong that I can't seem to see these deer? And uh so then I was able to take a week during the rut and uh you know I, I hunted hard for up until oh from about Halloween until about uh, November fifth and I still weren't seeing I wasn't seeing any chasing really, wasn't seeing any big bucks and I just I still I was like what is going on? I can't see one from the stand. And it seemed like November 6th, 7th, things just started to heat up and uh, started seeing a lot of a lot of mature shooter bucks, but I just couldn't get them in range. It was 50 yards, you know, 45 yards, 40 yards of tree in a way. And uh, they just, they would hang up. They weren't susceptible to calling, rattling, grunting, none of that. They I couldn't get that to work. Um, I had, I had a shot on one. And everything lined up right, and uh, I got a little buck fever. Used the wrong pin, you know. I was going through my mind like, <laughs> going through my mind, replaying it over and over. Like, how did I just miss that shot over its back? I knew it was 35 yards, and I arranged for that, and it was right. And then, then I realized, wait a minute, I used a 40 pin, which would have been, I was aiming at 45 yards. So, so that was uh, that was that was a tough one to bear there. And I was think I thought about that for a long time, and um, then the gun season hits there. And it seems like between mid-November into early December until the second gun season in Illinois. So they do a, a four-day um, gun season, or they do a three-day gun season to start uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend before Thanksgiving. And then they okay. always do um, a first weekend in December, they do a four-day gun hunt. So those are their two gun seasons, a little different than um, gotcha. we're used to in Wisconsin. But yeah. Uh, but it seems like between that first time, first gun hunt until after the weekend after that second gun hunt, they're just pictures, seeing deer, they just sit tight and they're not moving much at all. Okay. So I had high hopes for, uh, uh, you know, the weekend, it was the weekend after gun hunting. That's what this past weekend was. And uh, we had plans to, to stay home and I decided, you know what, I'm going to get up early got up at 3:30, drove an hour and 15 minutes back and I was going to hunt. Well, yeah. You know, the um, daughter was kind of up in the middle of the night fussing and I was tired and I was like, "You know what? Uh, I might just sleep in." And then I decided, "No, I'm, I I got to go out there. I at least get one hunt in this weekend." <laughs> so then I was on my way and I have a, a nice stand I put up that's a, a redneck blind and it's got a heater in it and I was like, "Man, it's going to be kind of cold this morning. Maybe I should sit that." And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the spot where I see a lot of deer late season. Um, or last year, I've seen a lot of deer travel through here. It's the only one of the only pinch points on the property. And okay. it's probably 100 yards wide. You know, so it's not much of a pinch point. 
but it's what we got to work with. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't sat the stand at all before. Um, just I had picked cameras in there and not much going on early season. And I just it's a really, really tough location to get to. Um, it's it's a decent walk in there. It's probably over a mile to get in there. But you got to kind of go around a couple bedding areas and then you got to walk across this what I'm calling the pinch point we have. And it's probably 100 yards wide by a quarter mile long. And it's all mature oaks in there. So there's not a whole lot of growth. And so you, you can be seen, you can be heard, and you're just kind of and there's bedding on the edges of it. So it's just like a, a difficult spot to get to. And it also has where the stand is at. It's on it's right along a river. So there's a ridge of the river and it's just a steep embankment down the river. And then on the backside, there's a waterway. It's a, it's a steep bank, too. So I had my sights set on that stand and it had the right wind the best one i could think for because these deer like i said they come from any direction anywhere but i was hoping it was a northwest wind and i'd have a good uh a good wind for when i'm sitting in the stand and uh i what i first time i ever tried this too and it's kind of interesting and I don't, I don't know what your what's your i guess i'll ask you this first what's your take on uh headlamps when you're going in uh my my personal thought on them is if they're if i don't have to have it on i don't turn it on at all Mm -hmm. so like i mean if it's gray light or if i know where i'm going and i can just get there in the dark i'm gonna get there in the dark that's my personal opinion yeah Uh, i just don't i don't i yeah that's purely opinion no science backed by that (laughs) whatsoever it's just what i feel is the right thing to do Right. And, yeah. and that's usually where I go with two. And I, and for this reason, as I'm walking across here, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw on a headlamp. One, it was, uh, um, also muzzle loader. So okay. I, have my bla- yeah. I got, I got my blaze orange on, but I'm like, you know what? It's dark. I, <laughs> it's dark. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw a headlamp on. And I decide, you know, I, I, I try to listen to uh podcasts and learn, you know, and learn some of this stuff. And I heard a guy, say before that he didn't think headlamps affected deer at all and i started thinking about this a little bit and i'm thinking you know what maybe there's something to this and i said when you shine a like you ever had a deer walk in front of a car with headlights or whatever it just stands there like nothing it's just blinded right it doesn't know what's going on it's confused yeah. and you can it doesn't do anything and then i'm starting to think and maybe if i have a lamp on and they hear me walking across this bottom and i it's got leaves everywhere. Maybe they see the light and realize I'm not a threat because they can see how far away I am and it's dark. You know, maybe they, they can see that and I get close to stand where I know where it's at and I can shut it off. So sure. that was my, my science and reasoning behind it. And so I, I did it that morning. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I, I gave it a try and I, from what I could tell, and it was fairly windy that morning is about 10, 15 mile an hour winds. And I'm up on top of a ridge by the river. It's, you know, it's, I didn't kick up any deer that I know of, you know, hard telling, but I, I didn't see any tails go up and uh, didn't hear anything bust. So got in the stand and uh, got all settled in and it, it was a cloudy morning. So shooting time was 647, but at 10 after seven, it was still fairly dark. Like it was still tough to see a little bit and uh, heard a couple deer coming from, kind of where my wind was blowing but they must have been just outside of my scent cone so i couldn't really tell what they were first i was like ah looks like a couple doe 
So I pulled up my, my binos and it was able to give me a little more light through them. And I saw I was like, holy shit, there's two shooters there. You know, and they're probably showing up at oh, 50, nice. 60 yards from me. And uh, so I got ready and where they were coming at me, I was like, if they go my left, I can sit, I can uh, stay sitting. And I know you're, uh, you're uh, you getting into saddle hunting and stuff, but on, <laughs> on private where, you know, I got, we have all these all permanent stands and, mm. you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of think about when you guys are doing their saddle hunt, then it might've been just easier to do that than hang up all these, all these stands. But, uh, <laughs> no, Hey man, I, I saddle hunt a lot and it's because the property that I hunt that I hunted this year, the private, no one's, I don't know anybody who's hunted it before and nobody before me had permanent stands. There were people that hunted it, but they all hunted out of climbers and they yeah. just were mobile the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't know where to hunt and I'm not going to go around and hang 10 tree stands all in the wrong places and then have to move them again. And I, I just think it's a really smart thing. And I I didn't really, before I started hanging all these stands, never really understood what saddle hunting or seeing people do until like late last year, you know, I seen you were doing it and all I'm seeing Mark Kenyon doing it. And I'm like, man, what? And I'm trying to learn a little bit more about this, but (laughs) you know, I'm already invested in the stands and they're already hung. And so it's yeah. like, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm a day late and a dollar I, short on that one. But. Right. I mean, you know, once, once I figure out this piece of private, I'm going to hang, I'm going to hang ladder stands. I'm going to build a couple box blinds. No, I'm going to have all that stuff, but it just yeah. doesn't make sense for me to do it. And then, you know, the property that I hunt's an hour and a half away. Um, whereas the public by my house is five minutes. So if I get yeah. done with work early or I just want to go out for an early morning weekend hunt or something like that, like then I'm, you know, I'm just grabbing the saddle and heading out into the woods. You know, right. that's, I have it. And so. and I like, uh, the other thing I like about that is being able to shoot in all directions. And oh, yeah. when you're in a hang in, you know, now I got So these deer are coming at me and if they go to my right, I got to stand up and, you know, and they, turn and around. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and I'd rather sit shooting. It's just less movement one standing up two it's i'm like when i stand up it's like i'm not very comfortable standing so i'm constantly kind of shifting my weight and moving and leaning against a tree and it's just like i'd rather stay seated yeah and And uh, a lot of times like when you got to shoot to your right uh out of a hang-on or a ladder stand your harness like always kind of depending on where you strap it to the tree it can get in your way pretty bad sure yeah exactly And so, you know, I, I always liked the idea of the, of the saddle stand. Like I said, I, there's this the saddle, but I just am already invested. You know, we always hang hands <laughs> yeah, up there, dude, so yeah. it is what it is. But yeah, you don't need to. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, so the deer's coming. They're coming at me, and I decided like, I, I have to stand. Like, because if this shooters, if these shooters go to the right of me, and I'm sitting here handcuffed, like i'm gonna kick on myself and that you right, know, that's always sure. that's always the dilemma you know like all right which way are they gonna go or should i some people i guess stand all the time i just i'm just not really my thing but uh <laughs> no so i was able they got behind a tree i was able to get stood up and got the bow ready and you know they're about 45 yards away and it was still it was still pretty dark out so i, I couldn't quite see if there was branches or what in my way and i, I just 45 yards for me i'm just not comfortable taking that shot especially at that light so sure they end up skirting away um they went off the ridge they followed a path which i the cool thing is like I, this is where i thought they'd go and they did it they just didn't quite give me the close enough shot so 
I'm thinking, well, here I am sitting in the stand for 20 minutes and my day's blown already. You know, here's the two, <laughs> this is not, this is not happening again, you know? So, right. Yeah. Two shooters coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, all of a sudden I just hear something on my left. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, coming from the opposite direction. Here's, here's a little basket rack. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. I hung my bow back up and I'm like, okay, buddy, I've seen plenty of you. Like, I, I'm so just going to kind of watch them. Where's your wind blowing? Like, is it blowing to your right out in front of you behind you? Yes. Yeah, so my wind's blowing out to my right. That's how I like to set okay. all my stands up. Like I said, because it, I try to set that stand. Um, so, I, so first thing you like to think about is work. Where's this wind going to blow for the stand, you know, when you're hanging yeah. it. And the other thing is, okay, now I want it to blow to my right because that's where I, I'm not going to be really able to shoot, you know, or you can stand and shoot to your right, but that's where I want my wind to blow either to the right or behind me. And, um, so it's blowing to my right. And, uh, so this deer, the two, this little buck, he's coming from, from my, from a little bit from behind me to my left and okay. uh so as i i'd already put my bow down and i'm watching this little buck and here comes another shooter behind him and i'm like <laughs> shit now i just have my boat now i gotta grab it and he's like 35 yards because he came from behind the tree and i'm like shoot now i have to grab my bow again you know get my release on it and by the time i do that he's walked through one shooting lane and uh he didn't, I, when he got out in front of me, there's like a little bush and he stopped right behind it. And I'm sitting still knowing that I can't do anything there. I'm, I'm ready. If he keeps going a little further, I'm, I'm ready to draw And but he just stops and he looks at me. I know he can't smell me, but he's staring at me. I'm like, Oh, he sees something okay. goofy. There's no leaves on the tree. And here's this blob hanging off the end of it. Blaze orange. <laughs> yeah. And so he just kind of turns around and slowly walks back the other way. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I draw back and uh, he gets almost an opening and I make a noise, you know, try to stop him and he keeps going. So I go, I yell louder and he finally stops and he stops with his head and just a part of his front shoulder behind a tree. I'm like, okay, still got a shot at the vitals, line it up. It's 30 yards, got the right pin, not making that mistake again, pull the trigger. <laughs> And my arrow gets halfway to the deer and it just takes a hard turn left. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what just did you happened? Hit, yeah. Did you hit a branch? Well, I can't see a branch. I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, is my mind playing tricks on me? Did I just shoot that deer and it ran off with the arrow? Like, what just happened? You know, cause it's still, it's getting light out, but you know, I can see, but it's like, I'm like, what's going on here? And so I'm debating whether I'm going to get down and check for blood and grab the arrow. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to go down and just try to figure it out. Well, yeah. When I got to the ground, I could actually see, I looked back at the tree. There was a dead branch, um, and it looked like a, like a wishbone from turkey hanging from another, you know, hanging on a branch upside down. Yeah. And there was a small little piece that kicked off, and it was just a spin, spindly little thing, but it was a, a solid you know, oak, um, branch. And I, and you couldn't hardly see it sitting in the tree and sure enough, I'd hit that thing. <laughs> so, oh, man. so yeah, so the that's dangers, about the dangers of sitting a stand for the first time and then shooting in low light. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in, in 
we trimmed that that stand out, but you know, he, he hadn't seen this little pocket. You know, this wasn't trimmed perfectly for the shot. This wasn't where I planned on definitely shooting deer. You know, there was a pocket there, but who knows? That you know, that branch could have fell whenever during the year. You right. know, so like you said yeah. low light, first time sitting in the year, and you don't know what's what happened. But uh, so I was feeling pretty down at that point. Uh, three shooters, you know, slip by, miss one. I'm texting a buddy and uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go toss this bow into the river and uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm done, I'm man. Done. I can't. I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, I just, you know, you think to yourself, like, how can there, how can you, there's these deer around here. We have them on camera. How can they just not accidentally run into me and give me a shot? You know, it's like, this is crazy. And, uh, you know, and I was messaging, we were messaging back and forth a little yeah. bit and you were, you were encouraging, you know, you know, and it's, it's, you, you, you're angry at yourself, but you know, when it's somebody else, you're like, Hey man, don't worry. There's going to be another shot, you know, be ready. And you're, but when it's you, you're like, dude, this is, I'm never getting another shot again. You know? Right. You, I'm never going to get another opportunity like this. Right. So I, you know, I was like, well, I, I'm here to hunt. So, you know, I, well, what I did then I was like, you know what? I'm going to shoot my bow. I'm going to aim at this tree. I picked I had an old broadhead in my quiver and i was like i'm just gonna shoot this arrow of this tree i gotta make sure it's it's not me did i do something wrong or you know i'm still questioning when i actually hit this branch because i couldn't believe i hit it so <laughs> i aim at this tree 30 yards away hit it right where i want to i'm like okay i feel a little better about myself you know it's it wasn't right. me i hit the branch okay and so um I, and i planned on sitting there a while i was, I was kind of committed so i'm like, all right who knows you know there's this stand's usually good for bucks this area you know they usually like to get through here late mornings. If you can sit, if you can sit till 11, your chances are you're going to see a nice deer. And, uh, so about nine o'clock comes by and I see a group of does coming across this, um, these hard oaks. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a doe. I, and I wanted to shoot three deer this year and I'd shot one during the Wisconsin gun season as far as, you know, putting enough meat in the freezer and, yeah. I was going to shoot a doe and, uh, it, she came in 15 yards and I was able to put a sh- shot on right behind her shoulder and, uh, it ran 40 yards tipped over. And so, uh, you know, instantly feeling a lot better about myself and, yeah, uh, for sure. you know, not feeling quite as bad. So, um, so I had a doe on the ground and uh, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna stick this out. The goal is to sit till 11. I'm gonna sit till 11. And, uh, about 11 o'clock came and and uh all of a sudden there was some movement out kind of out in front of me and there's some little there was like a, two spikes and a fork were chasing each other around and then a couple of those were there and i was like oh you know all right maybe there's a big buck run them off but nope didn't see nothing they kind of scurried away and i'm like well 11 o'clock i gotta clean this deer up gotta get back home better call it a day and uh, for whatever reason I decided to sit an extra 10 minutes and for no rhyme reason, I'm cold. I have a deer on the ground. I got to get back home. I was like, I don't, you know, I need to need to go, but I sat and, uh, it wasn't really on my phone or anything, but all of a sudden I just, I must not be looking in the direction. I look in front of me and here's this, here's the buck, you know, I can just tell he's big. I, I don't know who he is and don't, and I don't care. All I can tell is, all right, this is a big deer. And he's coming right at me and he's 60 yards away. So <laughs> heart starts pumping. You know, you know the feeling. And oh, yeah. uh, 
So I reach for my bow, get ready, and, and here he's coming right at me again. So I gotta make this decision: Do I stand? Is he gonna go to my right? Or is he gonna go to my left? And yeah. uh, he kind of stops right out in front of me at like forty yards, and he's behind a tree, and I can see that he's gonna go to my left. I'm like, all right, so I'm good to go. And he starts approaching me again. And he gets by another tree, and I, and I drew back, and I I, I remember getting to almost where it's the bow lets off but i'm not quite there and he's staring at me and so i kind of froze i thought he was staring at me he must not have always he would have he would have ditched the the whole plan there but yeah he he, he must have been looking behind me and i'm just kind of like frozen almost to the let off point but not quite and then he kind of kept running to my left a little or trotting a little more to my left i'm like opened up all the way he hit my first shooting lane and uh i made a noise to stop him you know and and there's a way bigger shooting lane if he passes the next tree. and But I was like, I'm getting that shot right there. I was like, I'm taking the first opportunity I get. I'm at full yeah. draw. I'm taking it. And uh, he didn't stop. He kept going. And I was like, shit. <laughs> so I made a louder noise. And he kept going. And finally, I, I was like, I, I got it on him. I got my pin on him. He's 15 yards away at this point. He's in the a wide open area. And I just yelled, hey. And he stops. He looks at me. And I pulled the trigger. <laughs> And uh, hit him right behind the shoulder. Basically shot on the exact same place I shot the doe. And basically the same shot right behind the shoulder. He ran within 20 yards of the doe. Hung my bow up. Got the binos out. And I could see him. St- he stopped. And I could see. the um, You could see the opposite side where I shot him. And his belly was just starting to get red. And I was like, oh, I got him. And he tipped over. And all I could see was a big horn. And then. Yeah, oh, you saw man. my you saw my reaction on yeah. Instagram. Things, so. <laughs> it was just F yeah, F yeah, F yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. So then I got on the phone right away and texted my you know, my group chat my brother in law and another buddy that hunts out there and I thought I'd shot this buck that we've been chasing the last two years and uh, that we called Lumpy. And uh, you know, I texted him I said, I got Lumpy, you know, I shot him and they, they couldn't believe it, you know, and I was like and I'm thinking again in my head what he looked like. I'm like, well, if it wasn't lumpy, it was just as big, if not bigger, you know, because I wasn't quite right. sure who he was. And uh, so in the stand I'm in, I, uh, you know, this is something too, you know, that you talk about with a lot of guys is, you know, wearing, wearing your safety harness up in a tree. So I always wear my safety harness, but I've never been really a safety line. You know, I never had safety lines in trees or anything. Sure. And then I decided this year once I, you know, had a, had my daughter and wife at home and you hear stories of all guys falling. Like, you know what? I'm putting safety line in all these trees because there's, it'd be silly, you know, to be out here doing what we love to do and to fall and be paralyzed or not be able to be able to do things with my daughter. She grows up to, you know, right. something silly like this. Like kick a soccer ball rather than throw a baseball. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so um so th- about this tree having us sit here this year i'd asked my buddy if he'd put a safety line in he said yeah i think there's a safety line in there well i didn't bring one with me and there wasn't one in it okay. so my my whole thought is all right i just need to focus get out of this tree safely get on the ground because i'm all jacked up you know i just shot this deer like this would be the time right. it's going to happen, you know, yeah, hurry down the tree. Yep, for sure. Yep. So I focused, got down the tree. 
And I was like, all right, I know he tipped over. I know I put a good shot on him, but I am not running him off. You know, he's he fell on our property. I don't have to ask neighbor's permission. You know, I mean, this is, it can't get any better than this. There's no reason to hurry over there. So I just sat down at the base of the tree, um, texted a few people, made a few phone calls, tried to make the time pass a little bit, you know, and, and uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like the hardest thing to do after you yeah. shoot one and you're like, all right, I got to wait 45 minutes. And you're yep. like, what time is it? Oh, it's been three minutes. Shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I called a few people, you know, and called my buddy. And he's like, and he's, he had to go to work that morning. And the guy that hunts out there with me. And he said, he's like, all right, if you go out there, you got to either FaceTime me or you got to go live on Instagram. You got to do something here because I, I, I'm just dying to know. He's like, can you just get over there and just glass him and look and see who he is? And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm not kicking him up, man. I'm like, I'm not messing this up. I spent this much time in it. And, um, but right. so yeah, he, uh, yeah, I, I sat there, gave a little time, went over there, and sure enough, he was, they were both toast, and so the rest is history after that's that. Awesome. It, was, it was a good day. Oh, that's so cool. Happy for you, man. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Uh, we do, we talk a lot back and forth, and, uh, you know, for it's, sure. I think we shared a lot of the same struggles where we're out there, we're trying everything we can do, trying different things, and it's like you see you're seeing big deer, you're just not getting that one to walk by at fifteen yeah. yards, you know. It's just like it just uh, it's the old saying, right place, right time. You know, you can try to do play the wind and be in the right spots and scout and do all that stuff, but you know, I don't know how many times I pictures this year of I'm sitting in one stand and he walks in front of another one, you know, or th- yeah. this buck walks in front of this one. So it's uh it's a little bit of luck involved with sitting in a tree stand and waiting for a deer to walk by it. For sure. My, my theory on that goes, I've been kind of testing it over the last few years, but, uh, I kind of say you like humans, we can only do 95% of the work and they need to make that 5% mistake. Yep. You know, you can have everything right, but if he gets a whiff of a different doe or a coyote comes through or, you know, even a squirrel freaks him out or a raccoon or something, he might change the direction, right? There's so many things that can go wrong. So you can put yourself in the correct position, you know, 10 times and fail all 10 times because it's, they just don't make the mistake. So, you know, you just got to put in your time because you have to, you have to hope that they're that one of those times they make that mistake. Yeah, right. and that's, then, that's my thought. And I agree. And, and you see a lot of these guys that, you know, put aside the Mark Drury's and the Lakoskis and put, put that aside. You know, they, they have monster deer in the habitat and they got all right. the tools and resources to do that. But you see, you know, just the guys you grow up around with hunt with, the guys that shoot the big deer are the guys that hunt all the times. You know, right. they're not going out there two weekends out of the year every year and shooting a big buck. You know, yep. it's just... They're spending a lot of time in the stand and sure they're, you know, they're, like you said, they're doing the 95% stuff right every time, but they need that other bit to happen. And, you know, and that, that comes from just being out there. Yeah. Well, you put in a couple of years on this property, you know, yeah. hard before you even yeah. had a chance, right? Yeah. And, and this yeah. year, I mean, this is a buck, a little, once in a lifetime buck. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I would have been happy with a deer half that size, you know, and For this sure. is. Well, I, before those two deer I shot, I'd only shot in one other basket rack six pointer with my bow, you know, and I, <laughs> and, 
and that buck I had spined. And so I almost was like, man, I, I kind of cheated on that buck. I didn't even sh- hit him right where I needed to. You know, I was like, you know, I, I wanted to yeah. prove to myself that one, I could shoot a big buck Two, I could shoot, you know, and shoot a, in the right spot, hit where I needed to and, and have that deer fall right away, you know? And right. so not wound one. And, uh, so yeah, it is, like you said, I, it, it felt good to be able to finally do that and uh, prove myself that, all right, I can do this. And I just kept telling my wife, I was like, I just want to beat these deer. You know, this is like personal <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> right. I just want to prove that I can actually do it. Yeah. And it, it uh, just proved to myself that I could do it too. You know, it's like, so but, uh, yeah. So for anyone just listening to this, how can you describe that buck? Yeah. So, so um, yeah. Describe the antlers on this thing. Yeah, so it's out. I mean, if you want to go, want to go to my uh, my Instagram page, I got pictures of them up there. It's that um, triple underscore threat underscore retriever, and uh, but the buck is he's he's real wide, and he's almost got like a, like a weird like he almost looks like a basket like a like a like a big basket could fit inside his rack. It's not like. A, real clean uniform when you'd see like a nice eight ten pointer where it's like perfectly symmetrical um he gets kind of wide and then curls back in at the front um where the tips of his antlers are way out front are going to touch not not touch but um and then the i think the coolest part so it's an 11 pointer um his g2s he's got a split g2 and uh real tall brow tines but it's split just like a mule deer would be split. Did you and, score him? Uh, no, I'm going to score him this weekend. I didn't have time. Okay. Um, I got him hanging, and um, I, mean, I actually. What do you th- What do you think? Do you have Do you and, even have an idea? I'm guessing I, somewhere in the neighborhood of 170. I, I I would love that. I'm terrible at guessing scores because you look at, and especially pictures too. You know, people take pictures up close, right, back and forth, yeah. whatever. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I just my, my goal and dream was always to shoot a buck over 160. So I'm just I'm hoping he's over 160. I, I'm pretty sure he is. I think he um, is with yeah. the mass, with the yeah. mass that he has. I mean, yeah, people listening, like you're talking real nice. It's not a thin, skinny 11 point. It's you, you know, you wrapping your fingers around each antler and they're barely touching. You yeah, know? it's, it's a, almost it's a, it's it's kind of surreal. Like I just. I keep looking back at the picture and be like, man, did that really happen? You know, I just, it's kind of surreal that, that you, you always dream of seeing, just seeing a buck that big or whatever, but, uh, being able to shoot one is cool. Sure. But, and the crazy part about this deer is that, um, we, so there's six guys that hunt this property It's 260 acres. And, uh, we, I don't know, we've had 20, over 20 cameras out there. We've nobody's ever seen this deer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the best message ever that you yeah. sent me. You, yeah, he goes, never had a trail camera picture of this deer. It's always fun to shoot the neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. man, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I got that's what I told that to a buddy, and, and yeah, I got to give him credit for that. But he said, uh, oh, oh yeah. shoot the neighbor's deer, huh? And I was like, you know what? It does feel good to shoot the neighbor's deer. So, but hey, man. yeah, whatever, whatever's coming through on that day, man. Yeah. And and, yeah. and that's a crazy thing, too, is it, and like I said, there's a number of bucks out there, great shooter bucks. And, 
you know, this, this guy showed up out of nowhere, you know? So here we're thinking, you know, we get all these bucks in this property and this guy shows up out of complete nowhere. And, uh, it was actually, um, my brother-in-law, he ended up getting a picture of this, um, from a couple neighbors down. There's, so there's each side of our 260 acre parcel. There's a 600 acre chunk on each side, which are both heavily hunted. But then okay. on the other side of the 600 acre, there's a there's a guy that owns land, and he had a picture of this buck from the previous year, and, uh, and that's the only pictures oh. he had of that deer that year, and uh, he came from that direction, you know, but that's a couple miles away, and uh, it the picture he had of that deer it looks exactly like the same it does this year, except for it didn't have that split G2. Oh, so, okay. Huh. When it come, comes to the age of that buck you know who knows uh, at least five you know the right. size of him he was at least four the year before so I, I who knows how old he is after that but uh for sure so yeah and then That's uh, cool. the, the other thing too is when i was gutting him i opened up his his stomach to see what he'd been feeding on and it was full of corn and uh the the there's a cornfield that's over in that 600 acre piece that was still standing and uh, it was a pretty good size one. And they had actually gone over there and started picking it um, that day. And <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, it's my guess is where and that's right? where he was at. It was in that corn and you know, it, all the standing corn that, you know, we've had all over the, the Midwest is because it's been so wet this fall. It yeah. finally got cold enough where they were able to get back in there. And so, you know, maybe that's part of that, that luck yeah. that being the right place, right time where they kicked him out and, you know, 11 o'clock yep. and he's going to a different bedding area or maybe he's lost and, you know, he, got, he ran down the wrong trail that day. But... <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. That is so cool. So breaking, I want to get into breaking down this hunt a little bit. So mm -hmm. people, people who are listening might be able to learn something from this. So one of the things you mentioned was right away your entry your entry route you know exit routes are very important too because you know 95 percent of the time you don't kill a deer so you need to exit properly as well but the entry route so were you had you planned out this entry route previously did you know exactly how you were going to move through because you said you had to navigate bedding areas in the dark so you kind of had a yeah. general idea as to where they were bedding mm -hmm. but so yeah. there's three ways that you can get to this stand um and the way that we normally take that you know i got a buddy that we during the season our wives probably think we're we're cheating on him here because we're texting each other non-stop you know but uh <laughs> we're always trying to dissect what, what we're doing wrong or how we can get in there better and so the route that we had always taken um skirts along the edge of these a set of pines and it's an easy trail to get to the pines, but then you got to go right next to the pines. Well, the pines, we know are the bedding area. You're, you're not in it, but you're around it, you know? And so it's, that's tough. And then you, you would walk straight North and you'd hit this stand, but off to the East, there's another bedding area. And so you can get by there and you can sneak by there, but you know, it's, it's tough, you know? So the other option is, you can bypass the um, both bedding areas. You can stay off to the east of both bedding areas on a main trail. It's a I mean, you can drive a truck down it, so you can avoid it. You, you know, it's not anymore. It's different. People walk up down this trail all the time, so you can walk all the way down it, and you could walk along the river, 
and you could walk straight up an embankment and you could that's the best way to sneak in except for this embankment is like straight up i mean it's not i've done it without carrying any gear and it is it i mean it's not fun so okay i'm not gonna lie um you that's probably the way you would go in you hunt smart (laughs) and you're willing to go that extra step hey man i haven't killed a buck like this so well but but in reality that is the way i should go up now it might be kind of wild getting up there but that is probably the best way to go up um i elect instead of walking down below the ridge along the river and then go up the bank into the stand that sits on the ridge to walk on the high side of the ridge and go straight to the stand so i'm avoiding all the bedding areas but i gotta walk across this kind of open you know they could see me from that bedding area and that's where i decided to use the the old uh the headlamp trick or so i think and and tried that so um you know and i think i really struggled to people always said find the bedding areas and i remember even talking to you about this is like well how the heck do you know where they're, they're bedded at? You know, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the hardest question that I get. Yeah. yeah how do I exactly. find the bedding areas? <laughs> yeah. And so how'd you, you figure it out? Well, uh, it's just a lot of walking around in the winter time, you know, going out there, okay. shed hunting. Um, I, I, I take the dog out there and we're, we're looking for sheds, but we're, it might be late February, um, in which some people, I guess they don't like going out there that early, but, you know what, that's how you learn, I think, is getting out there, seeing the game trails, you know, and if we ran into a oh, shed, yeah. it was cool. But in once in a while, we'd get we'd get one early like that or find a deadhead or something. But uh, just getting out there when there's snow on the ground, it's pretty easy to see where they're bedding at then, you know. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. The day season ends is the day my scouting begins. You know, I'm yep. out there right away. You know, this year in Wisconsin, the – I hunt um, a few different counties, but the counties that I hunt have an extended archery season, uh, I think for CWD reasons, um, but it goes until January 31st. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be hunting up until January 31st, and then February 1st will come around and I'll be out scouting. Yeah. <laughs> and that is also the best advice I can give to anybody that's wanting to know where bedding areas are is A, if you have the ability to use snow to your advantage, it is blatantly obvious where they bed when Mm -hmm. you're walking through snow. But then also, uh, the other thing that I always give is wherever you jump deer. If you jump deer out of a certain area every single time you walk by, that's a bedding area. You know, and Mm -hmm. I also encourage people in February and March, you know, assuming you, some people might get mad at me for saying this, but uh, assuming you know their health, it's a healthy herd. They have plenty of food, and you're not like really disturbing them. Go in there and try to jump them. Try to figure out where they are. You know, just go yeah. out there and see deer. And and I agree there too. And you know, and if it's the snow's that deep where it's going to be affecting, uh, you're making them use a lot of energy and stuff. You're probably not going to want to be out there walking around anyways. To be honest, if you got a right, you know, two a foot and a half of snow on the ground, it's tough walking for you. So you probably aren't going to be out there scouting. But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I hunt, I do a lot of marsh, marsh hunting. And in February, the marsh is frozen. So you can actually like walk across it and you can figure out where good spots are. Because then when September or like, you know, July or August rolls around, you're like, oh man, I really want to check out this kind of island in a marsh. 
and you're like, man, it's like two, three, four feet of water. The mosquitoes are awful. It's hot and buggy. I don't really want to go check that out to have it be nothing. Like you do that in February and March. And then, you know, is there a good tree out there? Is there not a good tree out there? Is there a good sign out there? Is there not a good sign out there? And you figure that out when it's not so awful <laughs> mm-hmm. temperature wise and stuff. But right. okay. So that's, that's entry and exit route, uh, bedding areas. So I, I actually would agree with you if I were to hunt that property. I mean, if you can hide yourself with a steep embankment, I'm going to do that every single time, you yes. know, cause that embankment hides you, your movement, uh, muffles your sound, you know, uh, it could potentially, uh, like redirect your scent when you're going in. So I love those. I love those big ditches that you can walk when you're walking into a spot. Or something like that. So I probably would use it, but at the same time, like whatever works for you, man. And this time, just walking, yeah. walking around the bedding areas and walking to the stand, that worked for you. So yeah. I wouldn't knock it. You yeah, know? and and you know, and that's something I may look at next year is you know cutting a trail up that or finding the right spot up this embankment where it's not quite as high and doing it. But I guess the other thing too that I struggle with is like walking one walking that far. It extends my walk like another half mile to go down by the river and, um, back up the embankment. It's just getting so sweaty on the oh, way in yeah. and then getting cold, you know? So oh, it's like yeah. <laughs> that played, that played a role into it too. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean, you're hundred percent right. I, and I know you do it because you're trying to give yourself every little advantage you can. And that's, you've got to try to get down below out of their sight, keep, your scent going the opposite way you know and even if that helps you 10 percent better if that ex- makes your chances 10 percent better you know you're better off than if you didn't do it so you know right. it's but but no dude that that also plays a role into it and what if you're late in getting out there you know oh, yeah and, and then and, it, that also plays a role there's so many factors like in the ideal scenario yeah i'm going to try to take that route that you're talking about with the embankment but there's yeah. plenty of reasons why i wouldn't as well and laziness yeah. and sweat is a factor as well. Like sweat's hate... a huge factor, especially, you know, you shot that buck December 14th. Yeah. It's a cold, it's a cold day, you know, it's 20 degrees out, yeah. 25 yep. degrees out. Like sweat yeah. will allow you to sit, you know, that'll not, you wouldn't want to sit until 11 or yeah. 1130 and, and, if you were cold. And that's part of my thing too. And that was part of my thought is I'm going to sit as late as I can. And if I get cold, my redneck with the heater in it is on the way back to the truck. And so I was like, you know, what? I'll ah. stop there and I'll finish the afternoon if I get cold and I was able to stick it out. But I, you know, knowing that this was a, a late morning movement where they're, they're passing through here, you know, it's like, yeah, I was, I was trying to, I try to reduce the sweat and you try to do different things and stay cool. But, and then you talked about uh, this kind of touch on, you know, what if you get in there late and I'm like notorious for, getting out of the truck walking in and it's getting light out you know right oh yeah everybody is nobody's yeah. perfect man yeah nobody's and, perfect on that so and this one this happened to be you know and maybe it was i was driving so far away and i didn't have the luxury of the, of the being close where i was actually on time and i was in the stand early and then that's how i saw those you know the two shooters right away in the morning it was like well that's what happens when you actually get in the tree you know early enough and before <laughs> first light oh oh you actually do see deer yeah yeah (laughs) yeah nah man i totally agree and there's sometimes where like i always struggle with this this is a question i ask myself all the time is like if i'm going in kind of in gray light 
should I just wait an extra 30 minutes and be able to get in? Like if I'm going through some thick stuff, do I risk making the noise for getting in there early or Mm -hmm. do I wait and make less noise, but get in there late? Like that's a struggle that I go with in my head all the time. Have you ever tried, um, like during peak rut, going in at like sleeping in and going in at eight, nine o'clock so you can sit the rest of the day. Have you ever tried oh, that? Yeah. yeah. I've done that a few times. And that was brought up to me this year too. And I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Cause you're always trying to hit. It seems like, and I don't know. And you'd be interested to see what you think about this, but it seems like during the rut, I'm always seeing bucks between 11 and one o'clock. And that's like the hardest part of the day to get to and stay in the stand is that yeah. middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, you know, an ideal scenario is you sit all day, right? You wake up at 4am, you get out to your stand at five and you sit there till six and then you get out. Right. Um, but I mean, that's tough to do. It really yeah. is. And after you do that a couple days, like sleeping in until seven thirty or eight in the morning sounds like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and I, and I tried that this year. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try it. And How did uh, it, I mean, did it go all right? No, I didn't see a single deer all day when I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an awful uh, decision. Yeah. And who, oh, I, you know, I may have not seen one earlier. Right. Who knows? But uh, yeah. yeah, but it was worth a try. Like I said, I'm always, I'm trying something different and, and until something works, you know? But, yeah. I mean, for, for me personally, like it's, it's a coin flip, whether or not you're going to see deer in the morning right away or not and that's where you kind of i would lean on my trail cameras a little bit mm-hmm. in that scenario like all right if i'm seeing them you know early morning then i should get here early morning but if i'm seeing them you know between 10 and you know midnight then i'm not too concerned with getting yeah. in there at 5 a.m you yeah. know it yeah i that's that's a trail camera decision but no i have done that simply because um you know i I've wanted to sleep in some days like, you know, I hunt for five, six, seven days in a row. And, you know, by day three or four, you're like, all right, I'll just sleep in and I'll shave two hours off my hunting time. But, uh, you know, I'll sit all day rather than, you know, coming out for lunch or something like that. Because I think that's one of the biggest people always just think morning and evening, morning and evening. And during the rut, I I kind of compare it to turkey hunting a little bit, like a lot of times turkey hunting toms will get down and they'll already have a hen picked out to work with and they'll be on that hen all morning until you know from 6 a.m to 9 a.m and then after that they're like all right now i gotta go find another one i gotta go figure another one out and then they'll get on the move and get looking and i think that happens as well with deer like big bucks will wait they'll bed down next to does and they'll be on those does right away in the morning And if they're trying and trying and trying and the does aren't receptive, then they're going to move on and go find different does. And that's that 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. time frame. And they're going to walk around and check bedding areas. That's my school of thought on it. I, again, no scientific data behind it or anything, but that's just what I think. And that's why you see deer in the middle of the day all the time during the rut. Yeah. And I, growing up, I gun hunting, you know, I never made it to the middle of the day. It was like, oh, it's cold and you're hungry and you always hunt morning nights and then started getting nailed bull hunt during the rut. And it was like, I, a couple of years ago, it was kind of funny. I was hadn't seen deer all morning and I was leaving and, 
and this was I was hunting in Wisconsin where I grew up and I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden there's a buck standing in the right dead center of the road staring at me and he runs right towards my stand you know 11 o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon and it's like what yeah. how's this happen you know and so that was like my first trigger is like you know I didn't know no one ever these podcasts and stuff that are out now that you're able to listen to and learn and the stuff that you're putting together here with deer vein it's like this stuff I didn't know you know I didn't the the sportsman's channel didn't I didn't get that channel at home you know I didn't I didn't know yeah. you know so it's right? like yeah it's just yeah I mean back you know what five years ago before podcasts were a thing I mean think about it all the information that's out there now versus even five years ago it had to be in Peterson's bow hunting or it yeah. had to be in Eastman's and that's yeah. the only way you would ever know. And even then, you know, that's only like a 60 page magazine and there's one white tail bow hunting article in there. They had to share the whole magazine with, you know, elk hunters and antelope and mule deer and everything. So the amount of information that you can get just on white tail hunting now is unreal. And I, you know, personally, I do spend a ton of time listening to white tail podcasts as well as, uh, you know, scrolling through people's pages, asking questions to a lot of different people, and watching a lot of YouTube videos on it. And, it's, and it has made a huge difference in how I hunt and how I go about looking at a hunt. And the whole thing behind Deer Vein is I'm just trying to recreate that for other people. And my specific goal is to help uh, newer hunters because I'm not some, you know, God's gift to hunting. I just think that I know a lot more because a lot more than new hunters because they're brand new. So I can at least help them because a lot of times it's really hard for people just to start getting bow hunting. I mean, look at your own struggle into getting into bow hunting, you know, yeah. it's just time and then thinking about it and everything. And then, you know, you go out there and you hunt for one, two, three years and you don't have success. You're like, why the hell am I putting so much time into this when I'm not being successful? And yeah. my goal with Deer Vein is just to kind of help people like yourself six years ago be successful in the first or second year. You don't at least have opportunities so that you stay hunting. And, and yeah, it's right there. So you at least stay hunting, you know, the first couple of years, if I didn't have such a hunger to hunt deer, you know, and I was brand new to the sport and you know, started just bow hunting right off the bat. I might've gave it up after the first couple of years. I just didn't, I didn't know, you know, it, it just, but like you said, if you can get out there and you can learn these things and try different things and, and everybody does it their own way. And everyone's going to say this way is right. And then other guys going to say that way is completely wrong. You know, you just gotta <laughs> try things to see, take a little bit right. from everybody, make your own strategy, make your own, and then use that in the field. And then, what does it work for you? What is, if it doesn't, because every piece of land is different, you know, deer in the area are different. They, um, states are different, you know, regions are different. And, you know, something that works down in Alabama may work up here. Um, right. There's, there's one trick that I heard on a podcast. I don't remember where I heard this, but, uh, that I really want to try out. And I don't know if you ever heard of this. It's uh, a guy talked about taking, right. I'll start again. The story. He, he was hunting this field and a piece of trash blew out in front of his stand. And he was like, yeah, shoot, there, there's a big box sitting, sitting in front of the middle of this food plot. It's going to scare off every deer. And he noticed that all these deer would walk up to it and want to be interested, curious about what it was. 
And so he said, all right, the next, you know, next time he went out there, he took a five-gallon bucket, you know, smelled like diesel fuel or whatever. And he set it right there in the middle of that field. And he said, all these deer came out, they were curious, wanted to check it out. And he had a big buck come up there and he was able to get a shot on him. <laughs> and, and so I've been, that was something I wanted to try this year. I, I hadn't had a chance to do it yet, but I was, you know what, I'm going to get yeah. a five-gallon bucket, a white pail. And I'm going to sit in the, right in front of my stand in the middle of this cornfield and see if, if it works. You know, it sounds crazy. For like, sure. Some, somebody would be like, that is the dumbest thing you could ever do. Why would you do it? <laughs> You know, dude. someone the first time someone said, you know what? I'm going to climb a tree and hunt deer out of a tree. His yeah. buddy was probably like, you're a moron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. why in the world would you do that? No, man, I, I, I think that could totally work. Deer are naturally curious animals. And if they're not, not like highly pressured and not always like trying to be killed, things like that would definitely interest them in my opinion. But I've yeah. also seen. You know, guy, like I've seen deer freak out at pop bottles. Yeah. You know, I've seen that on public. They'll, they'll be walking through the woods and they'll look at a pop bottle and they'll think it's like a freaking bobcat and they'll just burn out of there. And I'm like, why are you terrified of that Mountain yep. Dew bottle? <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. And exactly. So, like I said, it, it, everything's a little bit different, different places. Yeah. You just, you got to try stuff out. And if it works, you know, well, then there you go. You get a deer and you hang on the wall. If it doesn't, well, there's plenty of times we go out and it doesn't work out. You know, I can't tell you how many times they went up this year and they didn't work. So it's just hunting. So, yeah, one my one piece of advice for that, for anybody listening is uh, avoid, avoid people who don't avoid people, but take all of their advice with a grain of salt for people who give absolutes in deer hunting that say deer do this and they don't ever do this and there's no reason you should ever do that ever you know like if somebody were to tell grant like dude you're an idiot don't ever put a bucket of diesel fuel out in your food plot that's the dumbest thing in the world you'll never see a deer in your life like that's somebody that i personally would immediately never take advice from because they don't have an open mind and they're not they think that their way is the only way and that's that's it you know I'd agree. And I really hope somebody messaged you and says that they tried a five gallon bucket and it smelled like diesel fuel and they <laughs> shot a big buck off it. I cannot I hope, wait to hear yeah. that. If anybody story. has any story like that, any crazy story about that, yeah, please, please message me. I would really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, um, that'd be funny. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but don't just make one up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. There's one other things that I one other thing that I wanted to get to that you mentioned in your story was um, and how you killed this buck was you hung this stand so that you would have a generally you were anticipating a northwest wind and you would shoot the deer off to your left. Mm-hmm. So that is something that's pretty advanced in my opinion. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people just hang stand based on where they see deer and then like they just go there. So one of the things I wanted to touch on there was when you hang a tree stand, you want to be cognizant of what time of the year you're going to hunt it, where the deer are going to come from during that time of year. So if you're doing early season, the rut, or even late season, and then also what the predominant or the, what the dominant wind is during that time frame, because in early season in the Midwest, 
you're looking at a south wind. Typically, that's that's that the dominant wind is a south wind. So if you're setting a tree stand up and you want to hunt it early season, say you got a great bean field, you're seeing a lot of deer in that field, and it's you know September 28th and season opens October 1st, set that up for a likely south wind rather than like a north wind, because that's going to give you that time frame, um, and and what's likely going to happen there, and vice versa. Like Grant was hunting this buck on again in late December and during that time frame the dominant winds are northwest so setting a stand up for that time frame for a northwest wind is the best way to go in that scenario right and that's that's pretty cool that you thought that whole through thing through and it actually played out exactly how you hoped it would yeah and and I'll be honest a year ago that wasn't even like a major thought all I was looking at was areas you know and that wasn't even the thought process of one entrance and exit from a stand and two, what direction the wind's going to be going and where the deer are going to be coming from. Like that wasn't a thought. It was just like, okay, this is an area I want to get in. I hang a stand and then I'd get in there and I'd sit there and be like, Oh shit. Uh, the wind. Okay. How's this going to work? And every time the deer come from this direction, my wind's blowing there and they spook every time that, you know what I mean? And so that wasn't yeah. even really a thought. And all of a sudden, you know, I just keep coming back to this, but just it's learning and listening to people and trying different things. It's like, wait a minute, maybe I should try thinking about this before I hang it. And it's not just, this is a spot I want to get there because if you hang a stand there and it's, and you, your wind's blowing the wrong way, or maybe it's, it's okay. They don't smell you until they get within 20 yards, but then they bust your 20 yards. You're never going to get a shot with a bow, you know? So, um, it's, and I, I'm not a huge, um, I guess I'm not a huge scent guy where I think you can eliminate all your scent. And I think you'll, you'd say the same thing. We, I've seen you talk yeah. this before too, that I've heard you say before that you fart and sweat too much. So you, <laughs> I, it is uh, very, it's very true. I sweat too much and I am a gassy person. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm the same way, man. It's like, all right, just try to get your best advantage. But that's something I didn't really do until really pay attention to until this year and whether or not, yeah, th- it played out perfect this time. The deer walked where it was supposed to go, but you know, yeah. it, it could have very well came from right where my wind's blowing too. So like you said, you try to set yourself up. You try to think about those things, give yourself the best advantage you can. And then the rest is up to the deer to do, you know? Right. No, that makes sense. So one other question, why, uh, why did you wait to hunt this stand or why didn't you hunt this stand earlier? And do you think that that played a role in being successful that you had not hunted it previously? Man, I, so I get a couple reasons. One is, um, I hung a stand there early in the season and, uh, probably early October. And I probably, um, did I say stand? I meant camera if I didn't say that, but I hung okay. a camera yeah. in there, um, right away at the beginning of the season, knowing I was like, this is a good spot. I saw a great buck activity back here at the end of the year. And, I hung a camera in there and I didn't have a single buck on camera for like three weeks. It was just a bunch of does in their bed down. I was like, well, that's not worth a darn. And then I just didn't, I thought the way the stand was, I thought it needed to be closer to the ridge and it needed to be hunted with a South wind. Um, okay. So I just didn't have a lot of confidence. And I was like, I just, you know, uh, 
I don't think it's the right spot for it. I think the stand needs to be moved. And even though I went in there and hung it and cut it all, I was just second guessing myself. And, um, but then I'd been seeing, um, deer when I set my redneck blind with a, a nice little heater in there. Um, I've been seeing a lot of deer passing along that ridge. I can kind of see that ridge from where I'm at. The stand of sat's a couple hundred yards away from there, but I know they're using that area. And oh, okay. in the wintertime, you know, I had great trails over there. I just wasn't getting the picture early season. So I just didn't have the confidence to sit in that. And I decided, um, you know, based on what I'd seen the year before, late season, mid-morning, that's where I seen deer. And that's what I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go get cold and, uh, you know. Give it a go. Yeah. So. No, yeah, that makes total sense. And that brings up a great point is, again, is that certain stand locations can be phenomenal for a period of time and then be awful. You know, that stand location might be terrible the first week of October and the second week of October. But then, of course, like it is phenomenal in early December, mid-December. Yeah. You know, in, I, in, in hard telling, you know, some people will say, you got to stay out of there. And that's maybe that's what gave you success. Well, maybe it was. But there's also um, my 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 family likes to go out there and they like to hike through the woods and they're out there, you know, riding four wheelers and cutting down trees. And so I don't know how much that would affect or wouldn't affect it. I'm not sure. But this is an area right. where it doesn't get a lot of foot traffic. So maybe that was the key. Maybe staying out of there until now was the ticket, you know. And yeah. Who knows? I, I mean, are you going to hunt it earlier next year? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I guess I wouldn't have a re I'm going to put a camera back there again and, um, and see, and if, you know, if you don't get any pictures back there, well then the theory is like we just said, it's gotta be a late season area that they're moving right. back to. And do I know why yet? No, but I guess I'll just keep wandering around the woods looking for reasons why they'd be traveling back there late season whether it's food or bedding or what it is i have no idea yeah. but i just know that right now in that area they like to move back there in late season so I, I, like i said you sure. just keep trying different things and you you take your camera back there and t put your theories to test so yeah no i but, definitely agree i think that uh you know some of these areas like the, the reason some areas get better as the season goes on is because vegetation dies and food sources shrink. So then they have to go to areas that have good vegetation, like good cover for bedding areas, and then also areas that have food yet. So, uh, you know, like you said, you, one of the things you said was that uh, that buck came out of the corn and they had started cutting that corn that morning. So obviously there's food there. You yeah. know, and if well, your, and, if the and, bedding areas and, that you provide are better than the neighbors, then they might want to come and hang out in there. Yeah, and and I don't know, he had he had corn in his belly, so he he'd been in there obviously recently. You know, was it that morning? Was you know, there's a huge bedding area on our property between there. Was he bedded there? Did he go there that night? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's but yeah. he he was definitely in corn, and that was the standing corn was. You know, and so yeah, he was definitely came from over there. And it, maybe it was, his, maybe he was standing there and the combine kicked him out, you know, who knows, right. but, um, you're hundred percent right in saying that food sources are changing and it obviously changes the patterns because d what's the, you know, the three biggest thing for deer is food, water, bedding, you know, that's what they're looking yeah. for. 
Yeah, and with the river there, they I mean they get water anywhere. Right. Oh yeah. So you're, and, yeah. And you know, so you're really focused, you narrow it down to food and bedding. And if your property only has ten acres of tillable, then you're kind of looking at the neighbors for food and then your property's mm-hmm. kind of a bedding area. Is that sound right? It it's a mystery how these deer survival turn <laughs> eat. There's oaks everywhere. And okay. The crazy, so it's it's covered in oaks, but we have the ten acres. You go hunt them, and you would think these deer would just pour out of the woods into this corn. And one night you sit there and you don't see a single deer. And the next night you drive by there and there's thirty deer in that field. And, and like I don't understand what there's obviously <laughs> something, whether it's wind direction or temperature, or, you know. Yeah. What, there's there's so many things that play effect into it, and, and they're wild animals, so they can do whatever they want, right? Yeah. But uh, it's. I, uh... Yeah, check, check this theory out. So, oh, my good friend Parker, he has a theory that deer enter fields with the wind at their back. Okay. So they can, while they enter the field, they're trying to, they're able to see everything. Mm-hmm. So they want the wind at their back to smell anything creeping up on them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Just to think about that. I I haven't had the cape that opportunity, but he was telling me about that a couple of weeks ago, and it's made me think about it a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it, but that if might you think about it, it makes sense. You know, like hey, That's, I can see yeah. everything wide open in front of me, and I want to smell. Why what's do I need to going behind me? Right, yeah. right. So yeah, or you know, and yeah, because the dangers lies in the unknown, and that's the woods. Yeah. Right. That's where that's where that's where predators are going to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, well, I think um, let me. Oh, one other thing The I want to hear a little bit more about this is the last thing that I want to talk about. But it's mm-hmm. uh, your pinch point. Like you said, it's like 100 yards wide and you kind of call it a pinch, but it's not really a pinch. Like, what do you what do you mean by that? It's uh, so this it's 20 acres and. And it's all, it, I shouldn't say all, there is a little bedding area in there of like some Tatarian honeysuckle, some real thick stuff that grew up and they bed in this 20 acre piece. And okay. it, on the other, on the south side of this 20 acre piece, there's an open field. And then on south of that open field is pines where they bed. All right. So okay. then back to that 20 acre parcel, the north side of it is the river. So okay. You have an open field and you have a river, yep. so it pinches down. Yep. But it's a hundred yards wide, and th- there's select bedding areas within there. But otherwise, it's all mature oaks. There's no vegetation that grows on the f- on the floor of the of that forest. Right. The forest floor in the summertime, nothing grows there, and so it's open. And there's so it's not like they have to take a route. There's, I mean, they can literally walk anywhere, anywhere. down that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can see all the way across that thing, you know. So they're not hanging out and they're not bedding in it, but they're traveling through it. So it's it's as close to a pinch point we have because everything else is just all hardwoods, you know. It's just all sure. There, there's no, really no pinch. You get some ridges and stuff here there, but I watch them run up and down steep hills and embankments, and they obviously don't care sometimes about that, you know. Right. Yeah. So it's like, so I it's uh, I guess it's the closest thing we have to a pinch, but. You know, shooting with a bow, you know, you're you if it's 100 yards wide, you're, you're not really covering a whole lot of it. Right. So, 
Yeah, no, no, and that makes sense. Um, okay, I was just curious as to why yeah. you're thinking that, but yeah, it's tough because you know, you know, you talk about uh, areas like that with people in big woods, you know, just like a hundred acres of big woods, you know, big mature woods, and the there's pinch points in there as well. They're just extremely subtle because deer like to take similar trails they're they're right they're creatures of habit they like patterns they like doing things very similarly all the time because that's what's safe that's what's worked that's what you know my mom did my mama doe that's what she did and it worked for her and so they like to do certain things certain ways but when you look at a mature woods like that that's 100 yards wide you're like i don't know they could go anywhere and i i'm willing to bet as you sit there more and more you're going to figure out like actually 80% of the deer movement are on these two trails through this area. You know, you'll start to kind of figure that out as you sit there. And then once you figure it out and you see it all the time, then you're going to see the subtle differences there and you're going to go, ah, that's why they do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of starting to see that um, now where these bucks, this buck came through and I had the other shooters come through and, and actually where the stand is, it seems like it's in a pretty darn good spot, but uh I, I I heard a, um, a guy, he was, uh, he, I always find amazing these guys that can track deer through snow and then kill them. Like they, they'll oh, just yeah. get on a track and they track. I, I cannot fathom, like, I don't even know how the hell they do that. You know, Dude, I can barely kill one sitting goal. still in a tree. You know, yeah, that is a dream goal of mine is to be able to get on a piece of public that's so big that I can just cut a track and just go yeah. find And there was a guy from Northern Wisconsin telling a story and he said, you know, he's on a big piece of public. And he tracked all these deer, and he would, you know, it's just in the middle of this, you know, huge public land, thousands of acres. And he, as he was tracking deer all the time, he noticed that they'd go through this certain area. And then there's, there seemed to be a pattern cross through there. And he just said, you know, you could spend all the time you wanted putting trail cameras up and everything else, but unless you're getting out there scouting and looking and to find that spot, you would never, ever know that they crossed through there at this spot you know that it was a you know a four-way crossing and in the middle of this open woods and why they like to go there sure you can you can talk about uh, um, the what you have going on as far as um, ridge lines things like that that make them want to go through there but those are everywhere and they just happen to like to go through this area you know and so right. they're out there you're like you're saying you're right they're out there and the more you you get out there and you you're scout it and you sit and you watch these deer move yeah hopefully i can figure out where where that trail is that seems to be a mystery you know that yeah but we'll see no i i 100 that so two things you said there one you know that's another reason to get out and scout while there's snow on the ground you know you get any snow get out there and scout because you'll be able to find those trails and everything much easier and two I, you know, I love trail cameras. I use them all the time, but I don't think they're the end all be all by any means because they're, they can only give you information that's right in front of them. You know, right. if you, if there's four trails, I'm going through this right now on a property. I got five trails that come out of a bedding area and, uh, I have, you know, two cameras on them and it, I get totally different stuff. Like every two weeks, I have not put a pattern yet together on that because sometimes the deer like to use one trail and then they move to a different trail and then they move to a different one and i'm trying to move my cameras around 
And what I really ought to do is just go sit it for, you know, three, four days in the evenings and just watch it. And that will give me all the information I need versus sitting or a, a majority of the information I need versus sitting versus trying to depend on the trail cameras who are only watching a trail. Yeah. And, and, and but that's tough to do too. Cause now you're saying, all right, I'm going to sacrifice maybe a spot where I know there, I know there's deer and I could possibly get a shot at one to try to figure out this, you know, and yeah. sit here for a couple oh, dude, nights. That is, that is the ultimate like observation sits. Like people do observation sits. I'm like, how do you waste that time? Yeah. You it, know? It's tough. <laughs> it is. And sometimes it's yeah. necessary. You know, a lot of people will say, you listen to some of the guys who kill great whitetails every year. They'll go, yeah, when I enter a new property and I got six days to hunt, I'm going to spend the first three days scouting. It's like, oh, my God. you. I think, you I think uh, another you know, tip that I'm, I – Yeah. I think another tip that I, I would use, and I think you would agree with this too, is, and I, I know you do it actually, is that um, getting – an Onyx map or whatever you want to do or some type of mapping system. I use Onyx and um, when you're out marking these things. So like when I was thinking about this, like, well, why would I want a map of my own property? Like I know where I'm going, everything. I don't need a map to tell me that. But when you're out and you see these things like, all right, you get a snow and you're out walking around, you see these trails, all right, you mark it on there. Well, then the snow melts three days later and you're, you can't really tell they were, remember where it was at. And then a month later, it snows again. You're out walking. You're like, wait a minute. Was it here? Or was it further down? Like you can mark those things on a map and start a little bit of a pattern. Like I, I look at my map now and there's like, oh, I, I'm going to set up a stand. I'm like, oh, there's actually some trails here. Okay, this makes sense. I did the scouting earlier and it matches up with what I'm seeing now. And oh, there's actually a bedding area over here that I found that can't see it now because it's middle summertime. It doesn't look like it, but you know. So I think you'd agree with some of that stuff. too. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And when you when you plot all that stuff out, like, yes, I run Onyx as well. But when you plot all that out and you drop all those waypoints, then when you when you take a step back and you look at it all from an aerial view, sometimes patterns just emerge and you're like, oh, my God, how did I not notice this before? Right. Whereas when you're out there looking around, you're in the moment, you're in the time, you're enjoying the sign. You're like, wow, look at this rub. Oh my God, look at this scrape. And you're not like thinking about it in a comprehensive manner. But when you're sitting back at home and you're just sitting there and you're like, I'm going to see where I'm going to hunt today or whatever. And you look at those waypoints, you're like, oh my God, these scrapes are all in a line and they all lead right to this bedding area or this food source. Mm-hmm. I need to like haunt one end of this and I should be good. You know, whatever it is, you just figure out patterns easier. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, you know, and like I said, say many times here is I do all those things. And, you know, until it, last weekend, it didn't come to fruition, you know, but right. you just yeah. keep trying different things and trying to learn. And, you know, what could I have went and sat two times this year and maybe shot the same buck? Maybe, maybe you could get lucky, but, uh, Chances are, like I said, if you want to reproduce this every year, you got to be in the woods and you got to start looking at these different things. And, you know, right. I, I think anybody can learn to do this. Like you said, there's so much information out there. I mean, you can do it. Yeah. Just got to put in the effort. Yeah. <laughs> Hard work's rewarded right. every time. That's for sure. You bet. All right, man. Well, hey, we're almost at an hour and a half. So we'll, let's cut this off. This is a long one, but it's good. I like this. This was a great, I like, I enjoyed the story and I also enjoyed the analysis. We got on a lot of great points at the end there for anybody, you know, that didn't know any of those points and, and really was trying to 
build out kind of a new property or a new piece of public that they're trying to hunt a lot. Yeah, so, so I appreciate you having yeah. me on here too. I, yeah, I really appreciate it. it was fun. It was good talking to you again. Yeah, for sure. I know we'll have to catch up. We're actually not that far apart anymore. Maybe an hour and a half. And I'm in yeah. Chicago land all the time actually for work now. I'm getting more and more calls to go down there and do do work. So yeah, um, we'll have to meet up for sure. All right. Well, hey, tell people again what's your what's your Instagram handle? Yep, triple underscore threat underscore retriever. All right. All right. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Have a great evening and uh, enjoy. Enjoy your little girl, man. Thanks. All right. Catch you later, Grant. See ya.